Listening to the iZombie podcast with Robin and Steph. My name is Robin, and I'm excited to be here all by myself. Yeah, that's right, folks. Steph isn't here today, uh, but I promise I didn't uh, lock her in a casket or uh, possibly uh, give her some sort of tranquilizer and drop her into a freezer. Nope, she's just working. And so, because of that, I was actually on my own this evening. Uh, whoa, I just made a Les Mis reference. Um, to talk to uh, Mr. Rob Thomas, showrunner of iZombie, uh, creator of Veronica Mars, Party Down, and just uh, a super awesome guy. Uh, way to hear this interview. He was so gracious with his time. I will stop talking, and here we go. Here is my interview with Rob Thomas. We'd like to welcome Rob Thomas to the iZombie podcast. How are you doing today, Rob? I, I'm frazzled. <laughs> every, every episode that we do, we have a concept call. Uh-huh. It's right when production gets the script. And the first AD, you know, all the department heads are there. And he just, they breeze through the script. And, uh, and you know, for a few key scenes, they talk about how many extras or how to do a stunt or whatever. And usually those last about an hour, 15 hour 30. Mm-hmm. I have been on, um, <laughs> this is the finale. Oh, and wow. I was on that call for three and a half hours and we still had 20 pages of script left when <laughs> I popped off. Um, well, I am so happy that you're able to come on the podcast here with me. Uh, actually, my co-host isn't even here today. Oh, I'm sorry to uh, hear that. Um, I, I uh, what's what is her name? Steph. Steph. Yes. Yeah. I've, I've heard a couple of the podcasts, and so I, I know a little bit of it. <laughs> uh, we didn't expect you to listen to it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those. It's a dangerous thing to listen to. Yeah. Too much to what people say. Uh, it's. I always. It, weirdly, I feel like I'm eavesdropping, uh, and that I, I really shouldn't be in the room for that. But uh, right. that's. Uh, but anyway, tell her hi for me. I I will. I will. She'll be listening to this. So, <laughs> uh, and and on the uh, same regard, we didn't want to like he's on the con- on a concept call about the finale. Um, yeah, l- tell him to take his time. <laughs> we don't, as a fan podcast, want to screw up the actual product. <laughs> It, it will not screw up the product, and honestly, I think um, my brain was such mush uh, by the end of it that uh, I think it's better that we're picking up the rest of it uh, tomorrow morning, because it, it, it is such a complicated episode. It, the thing I will promise is that, um, you know, last year's season finale felt yeah. big, and this will be much bigger. Oh wow! So uh, is uh, Dear Com- Commissar going to be uh, played again? <laughs> it will not, we will we will not reprise that particular song, but I will promise there will be quality and interesting music uh, in the finale. Oh, excellent! I mean, you know, nothing nothing actually beats Dear Commissar for me, but One Day More definitely came close <laughs> to it. <laughs> I was so pleased with how well that worked. Um, 
and it was such an extensive song, and I prayed that it would work out like I, I hoped it would, and uh, and happily, um, that director, Michael Fields, who shot uh, last week's episode, is directing the finale, and uh, he's very good at those, uh, putting images to music. Great, great. I mean, what are some of uh, like your favorites that you've enjoyed uh, putting on the show? Like, what are the some what are some of the uh, songs that made you kind of you know fist pump and say yes, exactly? Oh well, that's I mean, you just pointed to two of them. I, I <laughs> their commissar, I was really pleased with, and uh, and yeah, one day more was uh, yeah that that made me really happy, and uh, he did such a mm-hmm. like. In the script, we did describe it, you know, certain shots as wanting to recall, you know, French peasants uh, arriving at the uh, at the barricades, and he did such a nice job mm. of that. Um, I'm trying to remember. It's funny; it all blurs together, and I start thinking of Veronica Mars songs. Uh, that's I, fine. Like, um, Karma Chameleon comes to mind is another one. Uh, yeah, that yeah. was funny. Um, so, so why the movie version of One Day More over the Broadway version? A lot of people were asking. Uh, total mistake. And, and really? error in communication. Um, and that, I swear, in the editing room, I was hearing the Broadway version, uh, <laughs> in the editing room all the way through. And it wasn't until the sound stage that got switched on me. And I think it was a clearances issue, and it was shocking to me um, when I heard it. Um, yeah. It still felt like it it worked, but yeah, totally. But I know, like the Broadway version is what I grew up on, and mm. uh, it was it felt so strange to be hearing the movie version at that point. Yeah, well, I, I, Steph and I uh, theorized maybe it was cheaper. You know, <laughs> said that uh, you kind of said on uh, on Twitter, and I'm not sure if this was kind of a joke or not. But the uh, the song rights cost about half the budget of the episode. It was an exaggeration, but it's also at the same time the most we paid for a song all all season. Oh so right, it was a very expensive song, not half of our budget, but a <laughs> but but you know. 80% of our music budget for this particular episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we were just trying to puzzle out, like, why One Day More? What was the inspiration? And I was I was thinking about Les Mis and how, you know, this is like the end of Act 1, and it's this huge crescendo, and then Act 2 spirals into despair. <laughs> was that kind of uh, part of the inspiration, or, was, or am I totally off? I, I, wanted, I, I wanted the sound of triumph. Yes. Um, and... Uh, and that was the most triumphant song that I could think of, yeah. and um, yeah, and I think it was just um, I don't know why we got on the subject. Um, some of the writing staff and I, um, but it, but I ended up showing the writing staff the um, Obama video that his that that uh, that, that like. And Obama, oh, some office did two one day more. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Have you ever seen this hmm. on the eve of the 2008 election? This um, uh, viral video of a uh, Obama campaign headquarters uh, came out where they all lip sync to that song, and it's brilliant. Wow. I don't know if you 
look it up. You will you will find it instantly. Just oh, definitely. YouTube Obama one day more, <laughs> and it's it's spectacular. It's spectacular. And so it, that song had been on my mind, and then I wanted something that felt huge and triumphant and over the top, and mm-hmm. that's that's what I landed on. Yeah. Oh gosh. As soon as uh, Blaine puts the needle on the record, and you see the you see Cosette on the record, you're like, "Oh wow, they're going here. Here we go." <laughs> yeah. Those those two back to back scenes were yes. uh, about as happy as I've been all season. That that's uh, uh, the those yeah Blaine. Uh, I can't remember which writer on staff had the idea of. Uh, of Blaine putting on the old man makeup, but <laughs> I adored that idea. And uh, yeah, those two those two back to back scenes came off really well. I'm I'm really excited about uh, tomorrow night's mm. episode. Tomorrow's is tomorrow's is one of my favorites. Yeah, you were saying that in the uh, inside look video, and uh, you even said that uh, uh, Major's going to find out about Liv's uh, roommate, quote unquote. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I may have said that more directly than I wanted to, but, um, but yeah, um, that finally, finally they, they bump into each other. Mm, yeah, you don't need to say any more than that. That's, that's fine. Um, uh, speaking of, uh, Rita, can you tell us about the ginger rapture? Should be, she be, uh, concerned about that or? She, she should be very concerned about the ginger rapture. I think she's, she's as ginger as they come. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, we actually we dialed up. We asked her to dial up the red at the beginning of the season. Like we wanted mm-hmm. full noir. So she's got gorgeous red hair normally, but we even we asked her to go two shades redder yeah. uh, from there, uh, just because we like that whole noir redhead thing. Yeah, and we love the the fact that it's you know it's Rita Hayworth who played Gilda. You know so. Uh, I'm always of the thought that Rita is her real name. It's not Gilda. Gilda is the act. Uh, yeah, Gilda is the act. We I can't tell you how hard we worked and never succeeded to get in that that famous line. We were going to reverse it. You know, at some point, Rita Hayworth said something like, "You know, men go to bed with uh, Gilda and wake up with me." And we were trying to flip that line on its head some way with Major, and we could just never get it to, to quite have the punch we wanted it to. Uh, maybe someday. Um, but, yeah, about that, I mean, the the scene, that, it was one of the most memorable uh, David Anders scenes yet on this show, and I just wasn't sure, like... Well, I, I'm assuming that his plan is just to screw with his dad, but he goes all out on screwing with his dad. Um, do, do you have anything to say about uh, his intentions there? Well, yeah, I think he just, yeah, he just wanted to mess with him. He wanted to put his father in a in an uncomfortable state. Yeah. So I think largely it was showmanship. I mean, the, I mean, it was all coming down to. Um, like his his intention was not whimsical. His intention was very much that he was going to rewrite his father's will. Um, but um, but the the decision to uh, to dress up as an uh, to be made up as an old man that that was mostly a lark. Uh, it, it, it's helpful, you know. I mean, we you know most um, funeral homes do have 
makeup artists there um, yeah. to handle the bodies. And we thought, well, you know what? Um, Candy can be just really talented and, uh, uh, and take him all the way to <laughs> 70 years old. Yeah, oh, I was, you know, I was thinking like, wow, he pulls the beard off pretty quick. He doesn't go with the charade very long. He's immediately like, you know, uh, you messed with my, you know, daddy, please. That sounds familiar. That kind of thing. That was. I love how it t- goes from, you know, acting and screwing around to quite sinister. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's fun writing for David Anders. He, oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of candy. Uh, it looked like she grew her fingers back or <laughs> did, did I get that? Did I uh, take no, that the it's wrong just, way? It's just hard to make them. She did not grow her fingers back. Um, <laughs> the, it's just it, in, in any of those shots, you, you know, it's a thing, you know, maybe a more, uh, a higher budgeted show would be able to, you know, visual affect them out all the yeah. time. We essentially just have them strapped up and under, uh, uh and occasionally we will catch a bad angle where they look like they're there again, though they're they're really not. Okay. I, I mean, they're not intended to be. It's, um, but they're trying to do it the old-fashioned way, just yeah. uh, just by sleight of uh, hands. Yes, that's, that's <laughs> no pun intended. Oh, wait, I should intend all puns with you, shouldn't I? <laughs> right. Yeah, we're the punniest show on television. There's no shame here. And, oh, I love it. <laughs> So, uh, what inspired the freeze frame at the end? It was just too good of a frame. It yeah. was just um, I I never wanted to do that before, and that moment where um, Robbie lifts the leg up above his head and Liv sort of arches her back backwards and yeah. tilts her head up. It was just such a great frame um, that it motivated me to do that, and and we were. Um, and we had sat there all the way, like, we were nearly at the end of the production process, and we had already had the artists do all of our comic book panels, um, and it was right at the end where I was looking at it, I said, what if we did one more comic book panel and uh, did it for that frame? And yeah. so that, that was, uh, happily, uh, they rushed to get that last um, comic book panel for us and had it in time, which I was really grateful for. And, and then the caption, Finn, I mean, this was originally going to be your season finale, right? Yeah, though, though, well, actually, no, we've never intended this to be our season finale. Oh, okay. Yes, we were original. we, our original order was 13, but I, I was bullish enough to think that we would be doing more than that. Uh, and That's great. And so we never thought we would be landing on this. I never made plans to land on this. So that was just happenstance. It was, ah. not, um, it was not that we thought we would end there. I, I, I don't know that this would have been the stopping. If, if, if we had ended up doing only 13, um, I think there would have been a little more resolution to the stories that we had been telling this year. Yeah, uh, exactly. I was thinking, like, wow, there was no Max Rager or Peyton or any sort right. of... You know, so I thought that was it was kind of weird. So that's good to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So so yeah, some great musical uh, moments on the show, and I, I I'm sure you've been asked by a hundred people, but uh, a musical could, could we're getting closer and closer. Is <laughs> could it happen? Well, um, it would be tough for it to happen. 
um, because um, uh, neither Raul nor Robert Buckley um, <laughs> would consider themselves singers. Um, and even though we make Buckley do a little bit of singing, <laughs> and he said to me, you know, he said, you know, I can't sing at all, uh, but I will give it, it, I will give it my all. And I thought he was exaggerating a little because I swear I've been out for karaoke with him before, but yeah. he was, he was being pretty truthful um, <laughs> about that, though it was, but the moment was never meant to play beautifully, it was meant to play a bit funny, and that's in an episode coming up. Oh great! Uh, um, so we three fifths of our series regulars uh, could certainly jump aboard a musical. Um, <laughs> Raul and uh, and Robert Buckley would uh, would be a little self conscious if we went down that path. I mean, you could always go dip back into the Les Mis well again and have uh, Liv and Blaine do the uh, the duel song from Les Mis. <laughs> oh right, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's great. Um, so. Definitely wanted to talk about uh, uh, Clive. You really kind of teased us in this uh, this episode that Clive may actually start be to to figure things out. Well, yeah, I mean, but I don't want to take that too far. I mean, what right. I mean, what he has noticed um, is that Liv seems to adopt uh, some character traits of the people who she's channeling, and he's written it off. I think what he says is very real. Um, you know, he, I mean, he believes, well, she must be doing this to, um, in order to help channel the, um, the, uh, you know, the, the visions from the person whose brain she ate. And, and I think that's what Clive thinks. I think there's a long way from thinking oh, the yeah. channels, uh, the person to thinking live as a zombie. Oh, right, right. Yeah, it's great because, you know, as a, as a viewer, like, I'm thinking, Oh, he's got to have this explained away in his own mind, but it was good to hear him actually vocalize it. Yeah, we were happy to do that, too, and we've been discussing it for a while. And in fact, that exact conversation um, that Clive and Liv had, um, uh, or I mean, Clive and Robbie had in 213, I actually wrote into 201, into the Grumpy Old Liv episode, and originally it was Liv and Clive getting out of a car and she's acting grumpy as they're walking to the first person. And he commented on, he said, so seems like you, you know, you, um, you know, we're investigating murder and you kind of take on the personality of the person. And, um, and that scene became like this three minute expositional scene. And, and it became such a long walk and talk that I, I cut all that out. Yeah, it was actually sh- written and shot all the way back at the beginning of the season, and then I kept having these second thoughts about whether to do it or not. And the and sort of the catch twenty two is that we have so much fun with Clive responding to live on these brains, <laughs> the looks that he gives her, yeah. the, the mystified, he, uh, Malcolm, it, Malcolm is just so brilliant as this straight man to her, <laughs> and, and his reactions crack us up, and we thought, well, if he acknowledges it, if he acknowledges this, do we lose that avenue of comedy? And, 
and I didn't want to lose that avenue of comedy. You know, the, the flip side of that is if Clive never comments on it, does you know, uh, does it look like um, he's just a completely unaware detective? Right. And uh, and so we were, you know, I kept weighing that out and weighing that out, and finally I decided, okay, he he's got to notice. And 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 now moving forward, we have to decide: does that change their dynamic when Liv is behaving? Uh, in some strange way, can now that Clive has said he's aware of it and kind of knows what she's doing, do we get the same comedy in those moments? And 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 we'll have to wait and see. I I don't know. I think the jury's still a little out on that. Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting to uh, explore. I mean, especially now that um, Major and Peyton, you know, know the whole truth and. And you know how their her their dynamics kind of change in their conversations. Sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, she, Major totally knows that she eats brains and is a zombie and takes on personalities. You know, I, I'm it, you do kind of lose something when I, I guess when it's all out. You know. And, yeah, I, I know, and and, and it's um, you know it's fun both to play those moments. Um, like it's you know we're gonna have fun with Peyton being in the loop and it does change those dynamics that you can never put the genie back in the bottle right those things and so um it is you know like I'm always asking myself this question like are we still having fun with this dynamic you know is this um is it still cool does it still give us story drive that this is remaining a secret and that Liv doesn't have anyone to tell and or can't tell her best friend because once once it's you know once that secret's out that is your new reality and uh, you can't go back to that place um but um so we've tried to stagger those things and not give everything it at once and uh, and uh and it, we will see what happens moving forward um yeah, yeah. I, and as a, as a fan podcast, you know, we hear a lot of the fan reaction. You know, there are, there is a a camp that's like, why does Liv have to lie to this person or that person? And it, but it's like, you know, the show completely changes. It's just like why why you probably are never gonna give her a cure. <laughs> it totally totally changes the show completely, and you can't really go back to that. Yeah, and, and, and I'm really you know I'm conscious of it in this sense. Like I do. Um, like I like giving plenty of story, you know. You know, some shows move too slow for me, and I don't want to be guilty of that. And I like to build seasons that that build to a resolution, and where questions are answered, and big storylines are played out, and there's always a big season finale uh, where a lot of loose ends are tied up, um, so that you don't get caught in this same rut of just you know dishing up the same thing that there is pro- that there's progress and that the season has momentum um uh but there but at the same time there's still some secrets that I I want to keep for a while and and make sure we milk all you know all the drama we can out of any given dynamic yeah well here's a little uh minute like fan noticing question that you probably haven't heard before that Liv says a line during this episode I'm not sure if you remember it at all but she says to Clive just offhand like does this seem like the longest day to you or is it just is that an inside joke of some sort 
Well, it is. It is an inside joke, and I almost cut it, and I probably should have cut it, because in watching it, I realized it didn't make sense. But for, for really dumb reasons, um, we have about 20 scenes in a row that are all like day two of the show. <laughs> and, and the reason that it's built like that is because we didn't think that Blaine could hold uh, Major you know, in that uh, casket you know, for like two full days. There were, there, were, there were all these reasons why we were playing all these live case of the week scenes but we didn't want a day and a night and a day and a night to pass all with uh, Major locked up and, uh, you know, over at Shady Plots. Yeah. So what it resulted in was about 20 scenes all taking place in the same day. And at the end of it, and it's still daylight out when, so. Yeah. And it's still daylight when Liv says that. So it's, it, it's an inside joke in the sense that, yeah, they're in the same wardrobe and to get everything done in that day that they got done, it would have to be like a 38-hour day, I, I think. Um, so, yeah, uh, it was a little bit of a cheat that we were commenting on. <laughs> yeah, we noticed it was, you know, it was kind of a long, extended case of the week where you had to get from this place to that place to this place to that place. Um, so I thought it was almost like a comment on just how many different steps they had to take to get to, like, I think it was Terrell Johnson's house where they went to, Yeah. which my co-host said that the, his house looked like something from Hoarders. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I love that house. Our locations, people did a nice job on that. It's yeah. always the, the, the funniest thing. Like we have to, like the script It'll it'll say something like interior shitty house, <laughs> and uh, and you always hope that your locations people aren't like showing the people yeah. the script like they never get their hands on it. And you're like, wait, where <laughs> your house is house? perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, about the case, I mean, we were trying to kind of piece together the different steps on the show, but I I was mainly concerned about like Big Fish. I mean, he seems like this. Um, this kind of loser from the sounds of it. I mean, all this lying and, you know, lying to girls at a bar and skimming, like skimming quarters from arcade machines seems kind of a low life kind of thing to do. But he's also, he also seems like, you know, a super cold, uh, cold hearted, like killer. I mean, he, he murdered this, these two, uh, utopium dealers and, uh, attempted to murder Drake as well. I mean, uh, are we going to discover more of like, about Big Fish at all, or is it just going to be kind of left at that? Uh, no, that's that's the last we see of Big Fish. Uh, and no, he was not a good guy. Like we were, um, what we like the idea is that he pre- he would present to people as kind of a friendly, um, you know, like the bartender. Just even though he's in there lying and hitting on girls, right. describes him as oh, he was a good guy. Uh, and we were trying to take people. A little bit off the scent of wait a minute he's he's uh, a killer in this circumstance um, and uh, and so yeah I think it was just a, a means of throwing people off the scent of mm-hmm. big fish a little bit um, yeah but but Drake's got to be a bad guy right I mean <laughs> well I, I could not tell you <laughs> the answer to that though I will say that answers are coming and coming quickly. Um, uh, in the Drake story, um, I'm trying to let's see. 
Um, I mean, we kept worrying about Lowell last season, whether he's a bad guy or he's a good guy. And then finally you gave us, he's a good guy, and then shot him in the face. <laughs> well, I, well, Lowell, it was never, I, I don't think there's any question, like, is he, like, literally a bad guy, like a criminal? I, I, I never got mm-hmm. that sort of vibe. It was, you know, there was some, is, you know, is he being straight with Liv? Is right. he, um, but with Drake, it's, uh, it's complicated with Drake and we address that in very direct ways. Uh, not in tomorrow night's episode, but I, I believe in, yeah. in the one following, you start to get some clarity on Drake. Uh, and speaking of uh, deaths, uh, our, uh, one of our listeners, Daisy, wrote in this week and wanted me to tell you um, if either Major or Blaine die, she'll never forgive you. And, of course, this also applies to Liv, Ravi, Clive, and Peyton. <laughs> so... <laughs> and these characters. Yeah. Uh, um, all right. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> so if you need to get back on that concept call. <laughs> I just got past people forgiving me for Lowell. Yeah, uh, yeah. That was I. Trust me, I was not prepared for that level of anguish when uh, uh, when Lowell bit it last. Oh, I know. Uh, uh, yeah, and I, I kind of cringe at bringing it up again. I, you know, after hearing you know different interviews with how you and Diane are both both saying, "Like, so we're sorry, we didn't know." <laughs> yeah, it, it was. I mean, we we knew we had him for five episodes. Um, like that was the deal we made with him as an actor, and so mm-hmm. um, we we wanted we certainly wanted the audience to like him and be happy that Liv was in a in a new and fresh relationship. But we were not quite prepared. I, it was, I think it's a testament to Bradley James' uh, performance that people found him really winning. And uh, you know the the comparison that I've used, uh, and maybe you've heard me say this because I've said it a few times. Um, in um, let's see, God, which book? Oh, in reading William Goldman's book uh, *Adventures in the Screen Trade*, um, uh, he wrote the movie, this Robert Redford movie called *The Great Wallow Pepper*. Oh, right, and, yes. And uh, and the movie, you know, big stars, uh, big budget, was not a huge hit, and in in sort of doing the uh, eulogy on the movie or looking back on the movie, he said, you know, the, the thing that we did uh, is that we cast this brilliant, young, beautiful actress, and uh, when she died halfway through the movie, no one in the audience forgave us. And, uh, and that was a young Susan Sarandon. <laughs> and uh, so we, we kept talking in the writer's room that, that uh, Bradley James Sarandon dust. <laughs> well, maybe if uh, uh, Drake gets killed off, he, he and uh, Bradley James can do like a Thelma and Louise thing together, you know, after. <laughs> if that were to happen, that would be the best. <laughs> um, I, I did see this uh, quote on TVLine.com. You said that uh, Liv's mother and brother were originally supposed to show up in like a recent episode. Is that something you could talk more about or is it something you're kind of saving? Um. Well... I'm not saving it. I do feel bad about it. Um, they um, they actually came in and shot some great scenes for us that we really liked, um, and uh, and they were supposed to happen mid season, and uh, and 
they were great. Uh, There's no complaints about the scenes, but like one of the episode that we originally shot them for, we were seven minutes long, ah. and it and the easiest trim was just to lift um, lift that storyline out, and then it became became this chain reaction. Once we lifted that, the story that followed afterwards didn't mesh in well. Um, and now we've even pirated part of that story uh, for something else we've done in the season. So, um, so it was our intention, and more than our intention, we actually shot scenes with them. Um, but my belief is the place you will be able to see those scenes are in the deleted scenes section of, uh, of the season two DVD. Um, we love those actors. The, the, the thing we... It's just, it's a jam-packed show. Yeah. And we already struggle with um, possibly packing too much story in there and opening up new storylines. Was, it was creating a problem. Though I do, I, if, I do regret it. I do wish um, that um, we had found a way that, that I had managed our time a bit better um, so that we would have, track those stories a little bit better yeah and the uh the long-awaited uh uh father appearance is is something else that's probably needs to be put off as well right yeah and in fact in in those uh story in that storyline with uh uh eva and evan um we were part of what we were doing in there was teeing up a father storyline um but it just got well, I mean, part of it, and this is really, if if we had gotten the full 22 episodes, I do believe you would have seen the Eva Evan material. Right. But but when we got six picked up instead of nine, suddenly all those storylines that we had for the back half of the season just got condensed so much um, that something had to give. Right. And I, I remember towards the beginning of the season, uh, you guys were talking about how this was a kind of a, a season of fathers, you know, with uh, Blaine's father, especially, too. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, it's, uh, you know, it's interesting how you have to change these things um, uh, as as he comes along. I mean, is this something uh, that you feel like uh, you have to kind of struggle with, whether knowing whether how many episodes you have or is that I mean, didn't you get like full seasons of Veronica back in the day? Or was that also something you dealt with there? Uh, it was also, you know, we had to deal with it there too a bit. And in fact, our last season, they cut us from 22 to 20, right. um, which was a drag. Although um, what we did with the, that extra time uh, was we shot the party down pilot with. Um, uh, so we actually made good <laughs> use of, of, of that time. But um, yeah, it does. You, you know. One of the things I love about television, though, I mean, sometimes, um, you know, the the fact that, you know, nothing is really set in stone. Um, like, we have big ideas for how the season's going to go. We, we know that there are certain things that we want to happen over the season, but so much of it is organic. Mm-hmm. And you get to sort of watch... Um, how the show is evolving and and steer it in the middle of it, and you know, I mean, certainly, I mean, uh, case in point would be the Veronica Logan romance in 
in uh, Veronica Mars, mm -hmm. like we had, there was n no intention to go in that direction. But then you start watching them on screen, and you go, "Oh, that's what we want to watch." That's yeah. that is an interesting part of the show, and it's one of the things I like about television. Like, you know, it, I mean, this is a, a much smaller example, but um, the first time we saw the actor who plays Don E in the show and we were going to kill him in two episodes. I mean, we already, we had both those ideas. Like we'll introduce him. He will mention zombies to major and then he'll be dead in the next episode. And that actor was just so electric that well, it, it was like, Oh, uh, okay. We somehow we have to bring him back and we have to make a bigger deal of him because he is too good not to give him real material in the show. And um, and it's always, I think it's, there's been a lot of little gags here and there where it's like, oh, no, no, it's, I'm not, I'm not him. I'm, I'm his brother. <laughs> it is, um, there, he has a line delivery um, in, uh, what is it, 217, 216? Which one did I just cut? 216. Um, and I'll tell you the line just so you can, um, he has this line of uh, let them try to uh, let those bitches try to kill me now and it like I want to put it in a movie trailer his, it is such it is such a good line <laughs> delivery I promise they are going to promote the show and uh, with that line even though he's not a series regular it is just it's so masterful it just it, uh, it yeah it kills me that that implies so much that <laughs> uh, Scotty and Donnie are like, are they the Highlander? <laughs> right. Oh, that's great. Um, okay. Uh, what else? Um, uh, I was uh, going to ask you uh, about uh, the ensemble of recurring players like Ali Machaka and Leanne Lapp, Jessica Harmon, Greg Finley. I mean, how do you decide who gets more screen time? Because sometimes, like, people will be, like, rioting, like, where's Peyton? Where's Peyton? And then, you know, you won't see uh, Rita for a while, or you won't see uh, Basio, another great character you guys created. In, uh, like she was supposed to come in and hand a, a um, uh, like, a memory drive to a kid in last season in the finale, or the, yeah, in the finale. And it was just a scene where she scoots him milkshake over to him and hands and takes that memory stick mm -hmm. and it was again it was just like who is that um yeah. we need more of her in the show and particularly i mean vancouver um you know where we cast the show it has it has terrific actors it does it is however the busiest city for acting in the world if i were an actor i would want to live in vancouver because if you are good you're working there's so much shooting up there that you have to grab actors and sometimes um you don't always get who you want and so when we land on someone we love uh we try to see more of them um and leanne uh was an example of that um uh ali is a special case um ali should be a series regular i wish she were a series regular if if we can free up the budget dollars and she doesn't, 
you know, get a show on the air. I, I would love nothing better than to make her a series regular. Um, we are a better show when she's on it. I, I love writing for her. I, I watch, you know, I, I love watching her and Raul on screen together. Um, so if that could happen, um, uh, I would want to make it happen. But there, you know, it, sometimes it's just a, a, a money thing. We have mm -hmm. a certain budget and um yeah uh yeah if you know every year there are certain things we want to do next season and making the series regular would be one of them for me mm -hmm. now because she's not a series regular for us she will probably book a pilot uh this spring and if that show gets on the air we will lose her and i will cry and mm -hmm. cry it would make me so sad. Um, I, I root for her, and I, and she deserves to be a series regular on a show. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, but I hope she's available to us next year. Um, and just in uh, uh, casting Liv, um, it, it seems like you kind of really, I mean, you struck gold. I mean, she, uh, Rose McIver, every episode is just proves how incredibly super talented she is. I mean, and can you talk about uh, how you found her, what that kind of relationship was like? Yeah, it, it's, um, I, uh, I know I've told this story before, but when we cast Veronica Mars, uh, Kristen Bell was the first of a hundred actresses that I saw. <laughs> and I knew that we had it like, like I, everyone else was just, who are we going to bring into the room to show network and studio? Because I have my Veronica. I, and it took all the pressure off. And, uh, you know, after seeing a hundred actresses, you, you kind of think back to yourself, wait a minute, that first one I saw, she was brilliant, right? Like, like you, you want to make sure that in your mind's eye, you have not, uh, uh, invented this brilliant performance, but she came in and then did it for a studio and network and was like, Oh yes, of course she was the one. And Rose was exactly the opposite. I, I saw a hundred actresses and Rose was the very last person I saw. And at that point I would, I was so panicked and we were, we were literally uh, 72 hours away from leaving on the Veronica Mars uh, press junket on the, on the movie. So we were taking a private plane from LA to Austin to New York for all the premieres and I was directing the pilot, and we didn't have our lead cast. And I thought, I'm going to lose this pilot, because I, I don't have the actress who can play this part yet. And the studio is going to hate that I'm going on a press tour when I'm supposed to be directing this pilot and don't have a star. And when Rose came in and auditioned, it, uh, it was the happiest day. It was... It was <laughs> It was so uh, exciting because I, I, I was at the end of a rope. And, and then, you know, then you have to hope, like you've seen the performance, you know that this is who you want. And then you have to hope that they can manage to deliver that performance in front of, you know, the most nerve wracking group, you know, in front of the network president, the studio president. And so many actors go into that room and choke and if anything, Rose dialed it up even further. I mean, really hit it out of the park uh, at that network audition. And then the other just beautiful thing about Rose, uh, you, like, you know, whoever's number one on your call sheet really sets a tone 
uh, on set, and she just couldn't be a more pleasant person. Uh, I mean, she is generous in spirit and with her time and with the crew and with the other actors, mm -hmm. and it it really it makes your life as a producer uh, so easy and joyful and. Um, it has been, yeah, iZombie has just been the most pleasant uh, experience because the cast uh, are such happy people and they're all buddies too. Yeah. Uh, unusual, like they 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 genuinely up in Vancouver hang out together all the time uh, and are yeah a happy group. It uh, it makes my job much easier. Um, my other question here, I. Rel actually uh, teased a little bit on Twitter um, and said that there is a uh, there's a big change coming for Robbie, and I just want to know if you can confirm right here on the iZombie podcast that you're turning Robbie into a werewolf. <laughs> actually, a were terrier. A were terrier. That's right. Of course. Okay. Uh, uh, huh. So he's uh, he's he's hinting at spoilers. Okay. I thought uh, I you know I don't, okay. big change could be anything. <laughs> Uh, he, um, uh, he, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I know what he's referring to, uh, and it's okay that he teased that. He does, he does have some momentous things coming up in, uh, mm -hmm. in Robbie's life. <laughs> um, and, uh, of course, uh, you have Enrico, uh, coming on the show next week. Uh, can you tell us anything about his role? I mean, how much is he like Keith Mars? <laughs> Uh, he's actually he's not much like Keith Mars, although uh, he is a cop in, in it. Um, he is a vice detective, mm -hmm. and uh, and he has uh, a, a few little fun scenes in uh, two. Uh, what is it? Two fourteen? Yeah, two fourteen. Or is it two fifteen? This, is it, this it, week's is two fourteen. Uh, and is he in this week's? Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, in that case. It's this week that has some real Drake information coming out. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, uh, yeah, 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 okay, okay. Uh, so uh, he has a modest amount of work in this, though it's really great and charming. And then, um, and then in 2.17, he's got a much more significant part. And it's just, it's joyful. You know, I, I sent uh, Rico a note um, when I saw the cut of 214, just telling him uh, how much pleasure it, it brought me to see him delivering our material again. And he makes, God, he's so good. He does a thing, and you'll see it in this episode. He just clicks a pin like eight times. It's not scripted. He just takes out a pin and he clicks the, he clicks like the ballpoint pin eight times in a row. Mm -hmm. And it's so brilliant and weird and fun and unscripted. It's um, he's just always finding moments like that. Um, yeah, he makes he makes the he makes other actors around him better. Um, they really bring up his game. You know, we're hopeful that he's gonna uh, direct uh, an episode for us next year. Oh wow! Yeah, um, we just I I couldn't love working with Rico more than I do. That's great. 
Um, how important is it to you to establish uh, clear-cut rules about zombieism? I was we're, we've been debating back and forth about the rules here and there, and I just was wondering. Uh, like, how was Max Rager involved in it? I mean, it seemed like in the first season, Max Rager and Tainted Utopium, possibly in some sort of rare cocktail <laughs> together, causes zombie. But then Super Max seems to be sort of like a Jekyll Hyde slash Super Soldier Serum. <laughs> so, but, is there any way you can enlighten us about that? Um, well, I do. Th- I think rules are important, and we try to be consistent. Um, uh, you know, there's. I'll give you. I'll give you an example of like things that we like talked about in the room, like how quickly. You know, how consistent do we need to be? Live eats a brain. How quickly does it? Do the effects start happening for her? And is there any flexibility? Is it? You know, is it? ever instant, you know, sometimes is it, is it delayed by hours? You know, what, what is the rule there? And finally, you know, we, we decided that eating a brain was like eating a pot brownie. And, uh, you know, it's, there's some variance in it, you know, that sometimes uh, that we have as much latitude as a pot brownie is, I guess, where we're, where, where we're landing on it, that... Um, uh, sometimes it hits you right away and hits you really hard, and sometimes it sneaks up on you. And um, and then there are some rules that are like um, uh, that, that that sometimes are dictated by budget. And <laughs> like even right now, like we're trying to do this huge episode, and um, and like one of the things I'll get caught up on is you know zombies have red eyes, but but we have a limited budget, and if there are more than a few zombies on screen, we may not be able to visual effects all those eyes. So, who gets the glowing red eyes? And <laughs> and that's that may not be you know, you know. Sometimes there might be things that maybe the rules aren't as consistent as they could be because we can't afford to make them. Yeah. Uh, 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 you know, we. Can't afford the visual effects on on twenty pairs of zombie eyes. Um, well, I mean, if there's anything we could learn from Night of the Comet, it's that you can wear sunglasses and be just as scary. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You know, just, all zombies are in in sunglasses. Yeah. Uh, uh, but we try to be. We try to be. I can't say uh, that it's always perfect, but we're always thinking about it. Um, uh, yeah, I, let me tell you, um, let me tell you, this is, an, this is not a zombie mythology rule. This is just kind of a rule of, well, it is, it, actually it is a zombie mythology rule, but it's one that we got horribly wrong. Sometimes, I, sometimes I wonder, like, were we drunk at this point? Uh, <laughs> how did this thing slip through? But, you know, one of the, the rules that we've had is that Liv's, visions that that they should be that when she pops into a vision that it should be an adrenalized moment mm-hmm. um that 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 you don't just get random visions of you know like someone you know flipping through a newspaper or something that that it's usually an important moment and uh and yet we're in the editing room and i, and I, I like this episode considerably um 
So it's not that I felt like the episode was a disaster, but we actually had the dumbest vision uh, a couple episodes ago where the vision was lip popped into just watch looking at the at the the killer I want to say in 211 or 210 sitting in a wheelchair listening to his wife read him an excerpt from a book. Huh. Um, it was not only not adrenalized but it was about the most boring thing you could show. Oh, on right. Yes. <laughs> sitting there listening to someone read to them. It, uh, I, it's one of those things I sat in the editing room, like, how did this make it all the way through our process? <laughs> I yeah, I remember like, talking about that saying, how convenient. <laughs> it's, it, it's um, yeah, it was a pretty random, and yeah. all I think of is we must have been desperate at some point of, how do we get this information across? I know a vision. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so, so what I'm saying is things make it through the cracks sometimes. Yeah. We're not proud of it, but it does happen. Oh no, it's fun. I love you know. Every week, it's like we're just trying to work out the the puzzle of uh, the rules, and you know, just like uh, uh, everybody learning the truth. I hope some somehow hope that we just never. There's always going to be different uh, interpretations of zombieism and how different things affect it, like Utopium and Tainted Utopium and Max and Super Max and yeah. <laughs> I, I I wonder like sometimes uh, if Von de Clark. It, like has no idea what's going on like he thinks that perhaps his product is causing zombieism where it really is either uh like that cocktail with the tainted utopium or it's just he's stumbling onto zombies and realizing or thinking that it's his fault but it really isn't well what i think what i think he knows is that uh, i think he they know that max rager uh, was at least a piece of what caused zombieism to break out at that mm-hmm. boat party. And he is less interested, I think, in, in, how, in, in how zombies are created. Um, he want, his, his mission is twofold. One, he wants to tap into that thing that makes you bigger, stronger, faster, that untaps all that potential that you get. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's using zombies as sort of trying to figure out how can I incorporate the good parts of zombieism and put it in a can and market it. Mm-hmm. And then part two is he wants to erase any trace of the zombieism he caused um, or his product caused so that um, he can go out and uh, and make billions of dollars uh, with this new product. So those are the two things he's thinking about. Unlike Robbie, who is trying to think, how can we prevent this from ever happening again, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, and how can we cure the people who it happened to? Yeah, because it seemed at first like uh, Vaughn was uh, pretty much like kill all the zombies. We have to kill all the zombies, and that then it's like we see his lab and we see zombies locked up and you know we're trying different experiments with them so it is kind of fun to see uh, uh, what what he's what he's working on and yeah. uh, of course you know the cocktail the supermax is twisting his brain more and more I think yeah. yes I do like how uh, Major ended up using the supermax and uh, how it activated him and <laughs> ran across <laughs> the city um, I just have two more questions for you and I'll let you go um uh 
you're of course working on the season finale. I'm not going to ask for any sort of details or anything, but I just wanted to know uh, how happy and or traumatized will we be by the events of the season finale? Um, how happy? I, I think honestly, I think people will be mostly happy. It's, mm-hmm. um, um, it's big. You know, I, I get nervous talking about how big it is because. Um, I have just handed them the script, um, and the hope is that we can shoot everything that we wrote. You know, sometimes, um, you know, it comes back and the budget number is so extreme, you have to start writing parts out of it, uh, in order to get it to where it needs to be. But most of our episodes are shot in eight days, and, uh, we try to keep stashing a little bit of money... Uh, over the course of the year so that we can have a 10-day shoot on the finale so that we can do a lot more action, um, have, yeah, just blow it out in a big way. Uh, we want to go out uh, big uh, as, you know, so when they're considering uh, uh, whether to pick us up next year that we have gone out on a creative high note, and I, and I think we'll do that. Um, if people are unsatisfied, it won't be because... Uh, questions uh, weren't answered, or that uh, we didn't give enough. Um, mm-hmm. I, it, we're we're pulling out all the stops. It's uh, it'll be big. Yeah, by happy I mean like you know, are we going to be pumping our fists a lot, or you know, as in traumatizing? Are we going to be just you know hiding our eyes, but you know, obviously enjoying it either way? <laughs> um, I think some of both. Yeah. I think both, yeah. I, I, if done correctly, I, I think both those things will land. <laughs> and uh, my final question is uh, uh, a purely selfish one. Um, was Boba Chat's uh, Dark Side podcast perhaps a shout out to the iZombie podcast with Robin and Steph? <laughs> <laughs> um, that is, honestly, that is a shout out to Raul Coley, who is um, just the, he, he is a legitimate star wars aficionado and something that um and so we and i was so that that moment also made me happy that that cutting back and forth from major listening to uh wilco and listening to the star wars podcast um it's just we we sat and thought well what would they be doing uh what would they be listening to and um and when you're in an editing room you have very rudimentary um, audio control. Like they can do some things and some cool things, but they're not equipped to do real high-level music editing. And throughout the process, I didn't think for the days I was in an editing room, I thought this isn't working. This isn't working. Please let it work on a sound stage. And when we got to the sound stage. Those, our sound editors made that work in a very cool way, and uh, I ended up really pleased with it. And uh, it was uh, one of our writer's assistants, Bill Hoover, who I said, uh, please write a star... You know, you've got, you've got about 15 seconds to write. <laughs> I, I don't mean... I, I mean, he had all day to write, but I said, yeah. here, this, this Star Wars podcast is going to actually we're going to hear it for about 15 seconds total so you have to get like three good lines in um and uh he did that for us and 
you know, as most writers' assistants are uh, on television shows, they are aspiring writers. So, you know, getting three lines on a television show in the Star Wars podcast, I, I think, will be or is a big moment for Phil. <laughs> Well, yeah. Well, it was great to hear just the word podcast on a TV show for once. Well, <laughs> I mean, if, if it doesn't I, say serial behind it, but <laughs> no, I, I'm, I am a podcast listener. I am, uh, I am. In fact, it's. I have become so unrock and roll in the last <laughs> few years. I, yeah, I, I am. I am constantly on podcast now. Uh, if you don't mind me asking, what are your favorites? Um. Let's see. Um, well, I, I listen to a lot of the Bill Simmons uh, sports bo- podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I listen to um, the uh, You Must Remember This. Uh, oh, that's a great one. Yeah, I, li- I, I think I've listened to all those. Um, the History, um, God, what is, what is the name of my history podcast? Um, he has been. Uh, he hasn't given us a new one in the last. Like he stopped for the. Um, uh, oh, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. That's oh, it. Oh right, yes. Um, Radio Lab, This American Life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, Sword and Scale. I've been listening to. Oh, and Grammar Girl, Quick and Dirty Tips for Better Writing. <laughs> <laughs> that could be helpful, I'm sure. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. Well, thank you very much, Rob, for coming on to our little podcast. Uh, it means a lot to me and Stefan. It means a lot to our listeners as well. Yeah. Thanks so much for doing it. It's it's cool that uh, that people are are tuning in and and you know getting the you know talking eye zombie with other fans. That that makes me very happy. Oh gosh. Well, Steph and I were looking to podcast about something, and uh, we heard Rob Thomas, and we heard David Andrews is going to be on the show. So we said that we're going to start this immediately. <laughs> excellent, excellent. All right. Well, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Rob. All Have right, a good day. Bye bye. Okay, that's it. That was our interview with Rob Thomas. Again, we want to thank Mr. Thomas for uh, taking so much time to uh, hang out and uh, field all sorts of questions that have been uh, buzzing around uh, the iZombie podcast headquarters. We don't have a headquarters. What am I talking about? Anyway, uh, it's late, so I will uh, sign off now and uh, we'll talk to you again about the next episode, Eternal Sunshine of the Caffeinated Mind. The iZombie Podcast with Robin and Steph is created under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 Unported International License. That means you can share it all you like as long as you link back to us. But please, do not change it or sell it or trade it for brains unless you're going to give us some. Our podcast logo is designed by D. Sheehan. You can find her work at behance.net slash Deanna Sheehan. Thank you for listening to our show. Obligatory contact information in 3, 2, 1... Go. You can follow me on Twitter at Steph Smith. You can follow me as well at L. Robinero. If you like what we do, check out our other podcast about the Joss Whedon show, Angel, Redemption Cast. Find us at redemptioncast.blogspot.com. I also have a third podcast all about the Marvel Netflix television series. 
The Defenders Podcast. Find that at DefendersPod.com. Like us on our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash iZombiePodcast. Join our Facebook discussion group, Facebook.com slash groups slash iZombiePodcast. You can find those links and more on our home on the web, iZombiePodcast.com. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Use those delicious cerebellums and make sure you leave it on the correct feed. We are the iZombie Podcast with Robin and Steph. And we're out. Brand Appetit!